0: Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with AS to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. I'm very lucky today to have on... Dr. David Fox. Dr. Fox is one of the co-chairs of the University of Michigan's Autoimmune Center of Excellence. And Dr. Fox has been a rheumatologist for a number of years, a member of the U.M. Medical School faculty since 1985. Dr. Fox is a professor of internal medicine and from 1990 to 2018 was the chief of the Division of Rheumatology with the University of Michigan's Medical School. And you've gotten your undergrad from Massachusetts Institute of Technology and your doctorate from Harvard Medical School. So fantastic training as you then jumped up to the University of Michigan. Fantastic training as you work through all the different wonderful areas that the University of Michigan's medical school has to offer. So, Dr. Fox, glad to have you here and, and welcome.
1: Jason, thank you very much. I'm I'm very pleased to be chatting with you this morning.
0: Something that I find very interesting that you're involved in is this autoimmunity center of excellence. As we discussed prior to the conversation, there's about 12, 11 of those centers around the U.S. at different universities and, and hospitals. And what is the basic premise of an autoimmunity center of excellence?
1: It's a group of investigators that are conducting research in the treatment of autoimmune diseases and also trying to understand causes of autoimmune diseases. And these include forms of arthritis, other rheumatologic diseases like lupus and scleroderma, and autoimmune diseases that are in other areas of medicine, like, for instance, multiple sclerosis, which affects the brain. Um, Different centers have specific projects and clinical trials that they're working on. But a very important part of this Autoimmunity Center of Excellence, or ACE program as it's called, is that the different centers have a chance to uh, meet a few times a year and interact with each other and have what are called collaborative projects where we uh, get to work together with experts at other institutions and uh, benefit from their knowledge and hopefully they benefit from ours.
0: Now, what I find interesting in in these autoimmunity centers of excellence, the ones we're talking about that you're involved with are all in the United States. Is there any cross-country collaboration, like do you as doctors and researchers work with folks, say, in England or Australia or Canada, anything of that nature?
1: Uh, Yes, we do. Not necessarily directly within the framework of this ACE program, but in other aspects of our research, we uh, certainly uh, work with physicians in other countries. One um, way that that occurs is in some of the clinical trials, particularly in our scleroderma program. Many of these trials are international trials. Uh, it's a rare disease, so um, we may need quite a few centers to uh, uh, join up in a clinical trial to recruit the number of patients needed for you know a useful study. So we have collaborations uh, with our colleagues in Europe and in Canada and occasionally other parts of the world.
0: Interesting. Your background, I know you've really focused on rheumatoid arthritis and the scleroderma. Yes. When we look at those diseases, how do they cross over into fields of, say, like research for ankylosing spondylitis, or can something that happens in rheumatoid arthritis say, oh, wow, this may or may not work for AS, let's Let's try it on AS patients.
1: Yes. So there are similarities and also differences between these various diseases. And sometimes we find out more about where these similarities and differences are by trying new treatments and and seeing what works. So for instance, if you look at TNF blockers, so these are biologics that uh, inhibit the action of a molecule called TNF, a tumor necrosis factor, those TNF blockers are useful not only in rheumatoid arthritis but in ankylosing spondylitis as well. There are other biologics that may be useful in RA but not in ankylosing spondylitis or vice versa more useful in ankylosing spondylitis but not RA. Both of these forms of arthritis are considered autoimmune in that cells of the immune system are inside the joint linings or Uh, In in instructors adjacent to joints and causing inflammation and eventually damage in those areas. And these are locations where the immune system generally does not take up residence. But the details of what's going wrong are Somewhat different if you compare these two forms of arthritis, and that leads to areas of difference in terms of whether some treatments work in one versus the other disease.
0: Oh, interesting. And I use myself as an example because I've dealt so long with ankylosing spondylitis. The general rule from the best I can see is that it's thought of as a disease that primarily affects the spine, in me, the spine was really a secondary area that was affected. Mine really attacked my hips when I was real young, and resulted in multiple hip replacements in my early twenties, just because it had so gone after the um, the cartilage around the hips so bad.
1: Well, it can certainly do that, and we we think of ankylosing spondylitis in most patients as being worst in what we call the axial skeletal joints, the the joints that are near the center of the body like the spine or or the hips. In some patients with ankylosing spondylitis, you can get uh, involvement of the hands and feet uh, as you do in rheumatoid arthritis. In rheumatoid arthritis, the spine can be involved but only the cervical spine, in other words, the neck. The lower parts of the spine are not involved by rheumatoid arthritis but are frequently involved by ankylosing spondylitis. So one really interesting feature of these different forms of arthritis is that they have an intrinsic kind of map to them as to which locations they go to and, and which they avoid. And uh, that's one of many things that we'd like to understand better, but if yet have only, I would say, very fragmentary clues as to what's going on.
0: Yeah, I've, I've talked with my rheumatologist who has since retired, Dr. Morton, and it was really interesting. Uh, again, when I was diagnosed, there really wasn't any biologics and it, it wasn't until the early 2000s that I was offered and tried out my first biologic, which at the time was Enbrel. Had short success with it, just not long-term. So like many rheumatologists, the rheumatologist I was seeing moved me to Humira. Kind of the same thing. And neither worked long-term for me, but I did feel some relief. Used them both for maybe six months to a year on each medication and, and then stopped. Stayed on Celebrex, which I had been on since it's basically it was rolled out. And it wasn't until 2017 that I tried Cosentix. To me, that was a game changer. I had never felt better than when I took that Cosentix. And I just found it real interesting that my body reacted really well to that IL-17, whereas the TNFs didn't do much for me long-term. And that's one of those mysteries we just, with biologics, you just have to trial and error them.
1: Well, um, to a great extent, that's true. And we we wish we had a more a reliable and systematic way of picking the best remedy for each patient on an individualized basis right at the start and what we need to do that is improvement in what are called biomarkers in other words things that we can test or or image or measure that will tell us this patient's going to respond to a TNF blocker better, but the other patient's going to respond to an IL-17 blocker better, and so we will individualize the treatment in that way. To a large extent, this um, biomarker-based selection of treatment has already come into play in cancer treatment, Um, not yet very much in rheumatic diseases, but I think that's going to happen over the next 5 to 10 years, and so treatment will become more systematic and not just a matter of trial and error.
0: Well Dr. Fox, how do you do that biomarker testing? Is it just through a blood test or is it more obviously more in depth than that? I, I'm not sure how that's done.
1: Well, there there are many kinds of biomarkers. Ideally for practical purposes, you would be able to do it through blood tests or, or urine tests or, or X rays or other kinds of imaging. In the cancer area, of course, the um, frequently the actual tumor tissue is available and the biomarker tests are often done on the on the cancer itself. In, in the case of uh, arthritic diseases, sometimes we have joint fluid or sometimes we can take biopsy from the inside of the joint, but we don't typically have a, a large piece of tissue as the oncologists do to do all sorts of tests on. So hopefully we, we will get some um, biomarker tests that can be done through the blood that reflect the specific pathways that are going on in the inflammation in that patient's joint tissue and then base treatment on that. And so the, the NIH has organized an initiative called the AMP, A M P, that stands for Accelerated Medicines Partnership. And uh, that's funded in collaboration with a number of pharmaceutical companies. And they initially focused on rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and have come up with some pretty interesting results about immune mechanisms in those diseases that can be measured through biomarker tests and that may be uh, guides in the future to new kinds of treatment and uh, personalized, individualized treatment. And so um, there's discussion about the next phase perhaps of this AMP collaborative and that type of approach I think is, is going to move the needle and get us more towards where we'd like to be in terms of picking the right treatment for the right patient.
0: Have you noticed everybody is talking about CBD oil? With that in mind, I partnered up with Joy Organics. With Joy Organics, you get quality THC free products that is broad spectrum and made with hemp grown in the United States. It's third party tested to make sure high standards are maintained. If you go to the link in the show notes to go to Joy Organics, you can order CBD soft gels, tinctures, salve, gummies, and so much more. They offer free shipping on orders over $50. If the order is under $50, Shipping is only a flat rate of $5, and they offer you a 100% money-back guarantee if you do not care for the product. So again, go to the show notes where you will find a coupon for 15% off your order. Remember, every order supports the show to keep this show going. while getting a fantastic product for you. Any breakthrough in rheumatoid or any of those can potentially lead to breakthroughs in the other forms of autoimmune issues. So it's, it's great to hear that as a patient, it might not seem like much is happening, but behind the scenes, it sounds like there's quite a bit.
1: There is quite a bit. And there, there's another branch of the NIH called the FNIH Foundation for the NIH. And this is a um, branch of the government that is undertaking research that is funded not by taxpayer dollars but by contributions from pharma companies and philanthropic contributions. And one of the programs in the FNIH is a biomarkers program. And within that program, there is a a sub-program about um, immune-mediated diseases. And in fact, there's a project being organized through that program specifically to come up with biomarkers in anclosing spondylitis and spondyloarthropathies. And that's in collaboration with the um, patient organizations that are involved and invested in anclosing spondylitis research. So they're at the table on, on this also, along with some academic centers that work very hard in the ankylosing spondylitis area. So uh, you'll be pleased to know that uh, we're we're soon hoping to launch a specific new biomarkers initiative in ankylosing spondylitis.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Another area that you really focus on, I believe, if I understood this right, was autoimmune eye diseases.
1: Well, we've done some work in autoimmune eye diseases as well. There are several kinds. Some involve the retina, which is in the back of the eye. Uh, Some are called uveitis, which means inflammation of the inner structures of the eye, but in front of the retina. Many patients with inflammatory arthritis or other systemic autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, they can get eye inflammation also. Sometimes it can be pretty serious. And the eye is a special uh, zone in the body that normally is protected from immune attack. But in some diseases, something happens to break down the the barrier that defends the eye and the immune system can get in there and inflame the structures of the eye. Uh, It's a very important aspect of autoimmunity. And yes, we are interested in that
0: the uveitis slash iritis is very common in people that have ankylosing spondylitis. Yes. I've noticed, No, knock on wood, I haven't had a bout of it in a while, but I've noticed that like many things, the older I get, the longer it takes me to fight it and get rid of it, with the last bout being around for a good six months.
1: Yeah, six months. And, And the iritis is quite painful as well. So, you know, it's a significant problem.
0: Yeah, my first bout of iritis. nobody knew what it was. It was treated as pink eye. And you know what happens three, four days later, it's not cleared up and it's only substantially worse. I happen to go to an emergency room and luckily there was a ophthalmologist there and he came walking in and he looked at that and he says oh you got a hot one there he said you're not going to like the treatment that i got to do to fix this but we're going to get it under control so we did everything that was done this was in the early 90s and it's been a few bouts since but i try to tell everybody from a patient side even if you've never had iritis or uveitis to make sure you get a good ophthalmologist on speed dial that understands that if you call them it's an emergency that you need to be fit into their schedule
1: yeah um, we, we need specialized ophthalmologic care for these kinds of eye diseases. They they have the equipment to examine the eye properly and the knowledge to assess what's going on. At least in ankylosing spondylitis, you know when your eye's inflamed because it's bright red and, and very painful. But uveitis can be sneaky and be deeper in the eye and not as painful and not as red, but very dangerous. So patients with a juvenile forms of arthritis, they frequently have uveitis that has no symptoms, but can cause blindness. And so children with that kind of arthritis, where there's, there's a risk of that kind of uveitis, they have to see the ophthalmologist every three months. That's how dangerous this condition can be. So Yes, the the eye is uh, it's a very important target organ and we definitely pay attention to that. Wow,
0: that's and see again I was not even aware that it could be that severe. I mean, I knew it could be severe, but I didn't understand in kids because I never had it affect me and nor did I know anybody that it could be that intense that directed where a doctor needs to be seen that often. So that's that's really interesting. The eyes yeah. are such a complex organ.
1: Amazing, yeah.
0: Well, Dr. Fox, I really appreciate the time you've given to me and to the listeners to talk about some of the things going on behind the scenes. So many times when we go to rheumatologists for our visit, you can sometimes feel like you maybe didn't get all your questions answered. And I encourage folks to always write down and and give the rheumatologist any specific questions. But to get from you a better understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, I really just, I can't thank you enough.
1: Well Jason you're very welcome it's really my pleasure to convey some of the excitement and progress that we have in our field and you know how far we've come in the past 30 years or so but I like to tell my students we're we're not quite there yet maybe we're halfway there but for any disease we want to do more than partially understand it we want to do more than you know partially treat it we really need to aim for understanding the cause, the cure, and eventually the prevention of these diseases. And hopefully in the next 30 years, that's where we get.
0: Well, again, I thank you. I I think you're being overly modest. And for the listeners, something that's really unique that Dr. Fox, the University of Michigan has established what they call a professorship in rheumatology named after Dr. David A. Fox. And this is something that in the show notes I'll have a link to if you should be more interested in it or want to make a donation to it, leading doctors coming up, future doctors in rheumatology will be able to apply for and get the David A. Fox professorship in rheumatology. I think you're very modest. You know, you're very well liked by what I can read from the colleagues and the information that you have is just from a rheumatology patient, a I can't thank you enough for what you're doing behind the scenes. I I look forward to see what future sufferers of AS will benefit from the research that you're doing today.
1: Well, thank you very much. That's certainly our hope.
0: Thank you again. I appreciate your time, and you have a wonderful day.
1: You too, and be healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.